continuing a major topic of knowing God, subtopic, this is the glory of God, and I don't know how far you can go with that, but it sure seems to me like we couldn't exhaust it in a lifetime because we don't understand most of it. I mean, how in the world can we comprehend eternity? I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how many illustrations you use to try to illustrate it. You couldn't get there. And I think the closest one I ever heard of that kind of gets you thinking about it a little bit, just a tiny bit, was if a bird could fly from the earth to the moon and every year make one trip up and back, and each year he carries one grain of sand, by the time he'd emptied all the beaches in all the world, eternity wouldn't even have begun. How can you have something that doesn't have a beginning and an end? He gives us little glimpses into it once in a while, but that's just about all we get. You know why? Because if we understood that, there wouldn't be one person on this earth that wouldn't get saved. That's why. I mean, if people understood pain as though they were suffering it when somebody described it, I guarantee you there'd be a ton of people that would stop doing some of the stuff they're doing that are going to end up in that kind of pain later on. And it's just the same way. If we thought that we were actually going to suffer forever and ever in a place of a lake of fire like he describes it, and you understood eternity and what it meant when you finally get there, that's it forever. And you just continue to exist in that state. And there's no end to it. The guy would say, man, it doesn't matter what you tell me I got to do. I'm going to do whatever it takes. <laughs> But we don't understand that. We don't grasp God. We don't understand so much of this stuff. It's just absolutely amazing to me how little I understand about God. But I'd like to understand a little more about His glory. So let's go back over to Psalm 50:15. We'll start back here. This kind of been a real eye-opener for me. This particular verse has just opened me up to all kinds of things beyond just the obvious. It says, 50:15, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And when we have problems, we go to God. That's the first one we turn to, especially if there isn't anybody else around. I mean, have you ever prayed, man, don't let them hit me, God? You ain't got time to get right with God and confess all your sins, get everything straightened out between you and him, you know, so then he'll finally answer your prayer. You got no time for that. I guarantee you some of these people that have crashed in these airplanes, they didn't have time to do much of anything. You know, they're just in trauma before they ever hit the ground. I can't imagine a much worse way to die. The only good thing about that is when it finally happens, you know, it's just like instant over before your brain can comprehend it and a thought can form in your mind, it's over. But boy, the terror beforehand must be something else. But you don't have time to get right. One preacher said, a Christian ought to be able to pray, preach, or die at a moment's notice. He said, well, I'm not a preacher. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You <laughs> say, well, I thought that meant bringing a message, you know, and collecting an offering. <laughs> no, it don't. There's a whole bunch of different ways to preach a message. <laughs> you can preach a message by simply how you live. You can preach a message by just mentioning that God has been so good to me. What do you mean? God ain't never done nothing for me. Are you kidding? First of all, you exist. He made you. He gave you a free will. And in him we live and move and have our being. Without him, you can do nothing. 
Well, I don't even know he was that close. Question here about this verse is, are we really glorifying God? He said, call upon me in a day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Really? Let's break that down. Bible says in Job 5, 7, he says, yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. So what's that have to do with anything? That's a sure thing. You light a fire, the sparks don't normally go down, do they? Unless you've got some kind of an additional force pushing down against them. Man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's going to happen. And not all of it you're going to cause yourself. Now, most of it we'll cause ourselves, but we don't cause it all ourselves. There's things that happen to us. That's why he says over in Romans 8, 28, you know, we know that all things work together for good. He's not talking about just the things that happened to you because you caused them. <laughs> the things that you brought upon yourself, he's talking about all of it. But he says, call upon me in a day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Does it say glorify or be thankful? Brother Mark and I got a little bit of a going on about this business of thankfulness or glorify. And, you know, I got my position, he's got his, and truly there is a middle ground where they do overlap, but they're not very big. Words, I always describe them like circles. And they're like this. And every once in a while you get words together that overlap a little bit, and some overlap a whole lot, and some don't even touch. I mean, those things are totally contrasted to each other, but words have an overlapping meaning a lot of times. And this gratitude or thanksgiving and glorification of God, those things are mostly separated from each other. Now, they connect back together because once God does manifest his glory to you, which typically when he does that, it's to your benefit. He almost never does anything to you just to scare you. <laughs> once in a while, he'll do a few little things like that to get your attention. But even that's for your benefit. Most of the time when you glorify God, it's because he's done something for you and you recognize the magnitude of that. Have you ever stopped to think that if you ever had a prayer answered, no matter how small it was, the one so mighty that he could create everything, including all of us, and is keeping track of the hairs on everybody's head at the same time, he understands and knows more than you can comprehend that he knows, let alone know it. That one right there took the time out to pay attention to you. And yet none of us really feel super humbled by that. If there's anything that happens when God manifests his glory to you, you'll feel humble as a result. Anyway, moving along here. Why do we want God to deliver us? You say, well, I want God to deliver me because, man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Look over at James 4. James chapter 4. This is a great read, so I'll just read through it from 1 to 10 because there's just so much stuff in here. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, 
God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Verse three says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Now I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I don't know how many times I've prayed over the last 34 years because I wanted something from God. I can't even imagine the number of times. And you know what I wanted? I either wanted something that would make me feel better or something that'd give me relief. There's very few times that my prayers did not focus upon myself and how I felt at that time about a particular situation. You say, what about when you're praying for somebody else? And when I'm praying for somebody else that I love and care about, it's still about how I feel toward them. You can't beat that thing. We ask and we receive not. Why? Because we're asking because it's all about us. Now, the more I understand about this business of parent-child relationship, the more I understand my relationship with my Heavenly Father because I am exactly like those little kids. Exactly. I mean, that parallel is so close, it just absolutely overwhelms me. Kids always thinking about himself. That's what they think about. You know, they're not thinking about everybody else and about dad and about mom and what can I do for you and what do you really want and how would you benefit from this? And what reason would you have to do anything for me? My thoughts, again, are just about how I feel about it and what I want and what he can do for me. And it's kind of frustrating, you know. My name is Jimmy, God. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's basically what it comes down to. I mean, I'll tell you what. There's been times when God's answered prayers for me. Days later, I'd realize I was praying about something or I'd be just thinking about it. And say, you know, God took care of that. I never even said thank you, let alone felt it. And it was about a million miles from giving him glory. It was just all about me. Verse 6 and 10, it says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I'm going to tell you something. If God were to appear right here, you wouldn't have a problem with humbling yourself then. I mean, you would be absolutely overwhelmed. Even if he did what he did to Moses and cover you with his hand and just kind of show you just a little bit of his power. That guy came off that mountain glowing, boy, just like something glowing in the dark, except he is glowing in the daytime. <laughs> man, that's power. <laughs> no man can see God and live. But even if he did it in that protected format, you wouldn't have a problem with being humble. The problem is that God holds himself back in such a way that he almost becomes abstract. When was the last time you had a real big problem in your life, and I mean a serious need, and before you ever started praying, the thought ran through your mind, God, you got the hairs on my head. You really got this thing under control, don't you? I guess you are a lot more capable than I thought. Lord, I guess you got it. 
but you want me to ask anyway. And so I'm going to ask, and I'm not only going to ask, I'm going to ask trusting you, and I'm going to ask with the idea that somehow you're going to allow me to glorify you because of it. When was the last time you ever asked God to answer a prayer for his benefit instead of yours? When did you move yourself out of the equation and say, God, I'd like you to benefit somehow from my kids. I'd like you to benefit somehow from healing so-and-so. We're just like kids. You know, a kid never goes to mom and dad and says, Mom, Dad, would you do such and such so that it makes you happy? Kids don't think that way. Exactly. And neither do God's kids think that way about him. We are so far removed from what reality is. You know, we just think about everything that we can see and handle and taste and touch. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. Which one's important? The eternal. I mean, the stuff that's temporal, when it's gone, it's gone. You know that? When it's gone, the only thing left behind is memories. But the things that are eternal last forever. Now, if there's some way that God can benefit from answering your prayers, that's the right prayer. Now, we can humble ourselves in several different ways. You say, what is it? Humble is to crush, to abase, to break, to reduce to a low estate. He says, humble yourselves, therefore. Now, we can lower our opinion of ourselves and realize our unworthiness in the sight of God. That's one way to humble ourselves. But you know, that's not the best way. Do you know that? You say, wait a minute, I, I thought that's the only way to do it. Oh, no. <laughs> not even close. There's another way to humble yourselves, and it's been almost completely left out of my Christian education. And like I've said for the last many, many, many weeks, since I got saved 34 years ago, the vast majority of my education has been service for God, stop doing this. It's come down to those two things. It's been do more for God, quit doing stuff for yourself. But there's another side of this thing that'll allow you to humble yourselves. Say, what is it? There's another definition for humble. Humble also is Low, opposed to high and lofty, opposed to great or magnificent. You're not going to have any problem humbling yourself if you actually start to understand and comprehend God himself. Amen. If you ever get to where you look in a mirror and you quit seeing yourself and you start seeing something that God made, boy... When you start seeing that and feeling that and you look in there and you see your hands and you know how it tastes and touches and smells, you know the heartache inside of you, you know the love you feel, the compassion you feel, and all of those other attributes that belong to God and he loaned to you. When you finally start seeing yourself as his creation for his benefit, you won't have any problem with humbling yourself a bit. And you'll be right about it in that perspective. He says, you're supposed to Love your neighbor as yourself. A man is not supposed to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. I don't care how much you abase yourself and say, I'm bad, whip myself on the back, you know, I'll crawl on broken glass and all this other stuff to show you that stuff, God. You're still God's creation and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are the highest thing on this planet that he made. You realize that? You are about the only thing on this planet that God made and gave a free will to. You think he has any trouble the animals obeying him? 
So every once in a while, one of them get messed up. <laughs> they do what he says do. <laughs> the winds and the waves obey him. You're the only one he has any trouble with because he gives you this free will. When you finally grasp that, you're going to see that you made me for a purpose, didn't you? Yeah, he made you for a purpose. What was it? He made you for his pleasure. But the only way you're going to understand his pleasure is to understand what he likes and what he doesn't like. What if you had to answer this question? God came to you and he said, I want you to write down a piece of paper what I want. You know what that'd come out like? It'd come out like a little kid if you said to your child, say, I want you to put down on a piece of paper what you think mommy and daddy want. You know what it'd be? I'm supposed to keep my room clean. I'm supposed to keep my grades. I'm supposed to keep my toys picked up. I'm supposed to be nice to my brother and sister. I'm supposed to be friendly with others. I'm, it's all about what I do. And you know in your heart as a parent, you want a lot more than that for those kids. And that little bit of picky stuff doesn't have anything to do with your real desire for them. God's desire for us is so far beyond what we do and don't do. It's just not even comprehensible. Why is that? Because we were made for his pleasure. We were made for him. We were not made for ourselves. And if anybody is ever worthy of whatever you can give him back, he is. And when we finally see him, we'll get it, you know. So we can look at it from the perspective of lower and ourselves or in relationship to opposed to high and lofty, opposed to great or magnificent we can raise our understanding of God. When you finally get to that level and you begin to understand who God is and how he exists and he doesn't just show up in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. He's got the hairs counted on your head no matter where you are or what you're doing. Now that's some God that can do that. I mean, there's a few of us in the congregation that are starting to make God's job a lot easier, you know. Less and less hair all the time. I saw a poor woman the other day and her hair was down to nothing but a shadow. <laughs> I said, man, oh man, that must be tough. Anyway, back to Psalm 50:15. Thou shalt glorify me. How'd you glorify God when he delivered you the last time? Say what? Say, how did you glorify God the last time he delivered you? Well, what do you mean by glorify? Well, that's a problem, isn't it? If you don't even know what it is, what do you think is going on there? So I wonder why I don't get my prayers answered, God. wonder why you don't deliver me, God. What do you think God's doing? Sitting around bored to death just waiting for you to have a problem so he can come and fix it so you'll be happy again? That's not why he made us. That is not what it's about. Yes, we're living in a sin-cursed world and trouble's going to come upon us and we're going to create a whole bunch of it for ourselves. But involved in all of this is a purpose and the purpose is for God's benefit. It's not for our benefit. He didn't save us for our benefit. I mean, I know you guys have heard this a million times. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He did not die for sinners. You say, oh man, now you lost me. I'm, I'm fixing to leave now. 
Jesus Christ died for the love of his Father, and that's the only reason he died. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, my will not to do it, but thine be done to go do it. He prayed that thing three times in a row. And it doesn't tell you that God responded at all, but I can almost tell you for sure that if he did, God with a tear in his voice would have said, but son, I just love him. Jesus Christ said, okay, it's worth it, God. Worth it for you. It's worth it. Even Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, recognized God's greatness. And he's the one it's all for. So it's of him and to him and for him and through him. And the whole thing is all about him. But he's given us this free will and we're just like little kids and we run around on this earth thinking it's all about us. And man, I just can't wait for the next time God do something for me. Why? So I can be thankful and tell everybody about how God did stuff for me. My wife has experienced no less than 50 times since she's been saved sharing a blessing and watched other Christians get mad and jealous. Huh? Brother <laughs> Mark, huh? That's normal. That's childlike. I guarantee you, you come home to your brothers and sisters with a brand new bicycle, they're not going to be jumping up and down saying, oh, goody, you got a new bicycle. Oh, I'm so happy for you. It's going to be, where's mine? What do I get? How come they always get it? How come you love them more than me? It's just kids. We're God's children. We just miss the whole thing. Only very few of us ever get a hold of any of this. I didn't get it until God started doing stuff with my wife and actually performed some miracles in my life. He started showing me that verse, call upon me in the day of trouble, I'll deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. How in the world I glorify you? Just by being grateful? Nope. Why does God do anything for you? Because you have a need? No. He does it for himself. You're created for him. He wants more for you than you want for yourself. One day, he's going to prove it. See, how's he going to do that? I hath not seen, neither ear heard, neither entered into the hearts of man what God prepared for them that love him. He's going to show you some stuff. And it's going to be just like a parent who has an unlimited supply for their children and their children will just glorify the Father for everything they do for him. It's not just, thank you, and I want more, and now can I have this, and now can I have that? That bicycle's old, now I want another new one. <laughs> no. At that point in time, everything is going to be totally different, and God will get what he really wants, the pure and absolute, unadulterated pleasure of watching his children enjoy themselves beyond our imagination. And he's going to say, yeah, now this is what it was all about. He's got purpose behind it. Why don't we get a hold of some of that now before we end up moving out of the house, you know, like a kid and getting off on our own and then getting up to be about 40, 50 or 60 years old and then start going, you know, my mom and dad were a whole lot smarter than I thought they were. <laughs> I'm starting to understand a little bit about them. You know, if we could get a hold of that and get a handle on that between us and God right now, it'd make a huge difference. Anyway, next week we're going to look into what glorifying God actually is. And he defines it here, only seven verses further ahead in Psalms. We'll look at it and start actually studying what to glorify God is. Let's close in prayer.